Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. <music> The intersection between ethnic and religious identities can be both complex and rich, particularly when dealing with a community that still has deep roots in the immigrant experience. In his book, Memory and Honor, Cultural and Generational Ministry with Korean American Communities, published in 2013 by Liturgical Press, Father Simon Kim explores these issues in the Korean American Catholic community. In this deeply reflective work, Father Kim grapples with the many issues, such as the generational divide between ethnic Korean Catholics who immigrated, the children they brought with them from Korea, and their grandchildren born in the United States, and what it means to be a Catholic of Korean ethnicity when Protestant forms of Christianity are linked so tightly with that ethnic group in the popular imagination. This pioneering work will be of interest not only to scholars working in Asian American religion, but anyone who is curious about the connection between ethnicity and Christianity. And I hope you will enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Father Simon Kim about his new book, Memory and Honor, Cultural and Generational Ministry with Korean American Communities, which has been published by Liturgical Press. We'll also be talking to Dr. Choi, who uh, is preparing a translation into Korean of this book. Uh, Father uh, Simon and Dr. Choi... Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having, having us. us. All right. Well, Father, so you see we have two people, so to, I'll have to remember to actually address them by their names so that you, our listeners, will know who we're talking to. So, Father Simon, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I was born in Seoul, Korea in 1970, and our family came to uh, Hawaii in 1972. And so I basically grew up on the West Coast in Hawaii, Seattle, and, the, and then ended up in California. Uh, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Orange. I was ordained in 1998 um, and served in some parish ministries there and eventually went to get my doctoral studies at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and currently serving as an assistant professor of theology at Our Lady of Holy Cross College in New Orleans. Uh, Excellent. Thank you, Father Simon. And uh, Dr. Che, who I'm just going to refer to you as Hun now because that's what you you go by. That's fine. How did you come, or can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I don't have as uh, eloquent uh, <laughs> speech about my sto- my history, but uh, I was born and, born and raised in Korea, and I uh, moved to the States when I was 12, um, and uh, I became interested in theology when I was younger. I thought about becoming a priest. Um, that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, but I studied theology at Boston College, and I really loved it. Um, so I wanted to have a family, be married, but still study theology. So I did that by pursuing my degree at Yale. Then I went to Loyola for my PhD. Uh, and now I'm teaching as an assistant professor of theology at Bellarmine University. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Hoon. So, all right, uh, Father Simon, could you tell us a little bit, how did you um, end up coming to write this book? Well, the long version is that during my... Uh, doctoral studies, and uh, while I was writing my dissertation, I came across uh, works 
of Fathers Vigilio Elizondo and Gustavo Gutierrez. And they were speaking about God or theological reflections from um, the context of their lived realities or from the people that, that experienced them locally. And what I found was that even though it was in a totally different culture and context, in some ways they were also speaking to me about my own situations, about uh, living in different worlds, living in between worlds, living on the margins, uh, how the church should respond in certain ways to these situations. And so it, it drove me to not only study their works more, but also to say, how do I take this methodology, especially after Vatican II, where this all grew out of, how do I take what they've done and then start to apply it to my own situation as a Korean-American Catholic, in my own experience of immigration, of resettlement, um, and also how does this benefit then not only the future generations, but other ethnic groups that have come to the United States after the post-1965 Immigration Act. And so the long version is that through other cultural reflections, I came to realize my cultural understanding and experience was just as valuable in understanding who God is and explaining God to other people. And so it made me start to reflect on my own life's journey. And so a lot of the book is really my own uh, reflections, my own journals about what it means to be church, what it means to be a people, rebuilding uh, socially and co- and religiously. What does it mean for us to continue to hand on the faith uh, for like the early church? And uh, I just had a great opportunity at the Kushwa Center at Notre Dame after uh, my graduating and to do a year over there and to just kind of reflect on these themes with my mentors and to I'll come up with this book. Excellent, excellent. It is, uh, again, for our audience, it's a wonderful book. It's actually, uh, and I'm told it's sold very well, right? It's, it's they're, working, they're selling through the second printing, so I hope our audience will go out and buy it and uh, so it can go into the third printing. So, Hoon, I wonder, uh, Father Simon has just given us a wonderful explanation of how he came to write this book. How did you come to be someone who's translating it into Korean? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I... I actually never intended to um, study or do any of this uh, as part of my professional career, um, but it turned out because um, I'm, I'm I'm an ethicist by trade, um, and um, I specialize in in gender and sexuality, especially masculinities. So I never was really interested in this uh, until I went through sort of a uh, uh, not an identity crisis, but a question about the discovery of the self. Um, I, I start thinking about my background, where I come from, who I am, and there were really a lot of elements of who I am that I never really thought about, discovered, discussed about. Um, so I started to look into that a little bit, and just at, at during that time, I went to uh, one of these uh, retreats um, where I ran into this guy who was sort of a keynote speaker at this retreat and he was uh he had some books on uh, um either selling or giving away on 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 that on a desk and I looked over and I read the the uh back cover and I I was interested I wanted to find out more about what he was doing I wanted, I wanted to pursue this uh for my career also and opportunities kept happening in this field so even though I never intended to do this um 
this opportunity showed up and I took it and um and I and I, I am bilingual so uh, I thought that's also part of my calling it's something that I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to use this gift um so I thought the first thing I could do is to translate this book I have to admit too I I asked him um because I it was my own uh desire to have this in Korean as well because although it is a reflection of my experience of growing up as Korean American Catholic it it didn't happen alone it happened within a a communal context both at church and in the family in our household and I I have the wonderful opportunity. God has given me this opportunity to share it with many people, not just Koreans, Korean Americans. But one group that I haven't really been able to share with is the initial immigrant generation who perhaps do not still speak English or read English, and such as my mom. And so I wanted to be able to present it in a format that they could read it and for them to understand the legacy, the gift, the impact they left on the next generation. And, you know, we all hear about the stories of the immigrants working long hours, um, providing opportunities financially and with education for the next generation, but also to see how the things that we have picked up along the way that they may have not noticed have also impacted the way we see the world. And so it's just as a testament to what they've done, I want, you know, to have my mom or uh, older Korean generation be able to read it in Korean and to say, oh, this is what my actions knowingly or unknowingly did for the next generation, I think uh, would validate some of their experiences of coming to this country as well. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. Really interesting uh, story, uh, as we can tell behind this book. So, I mean, you, you've kind of already answered the question, but but moving on to your book, then the actual physical thing. In the introduction, you, you talk about, you explain why you're writing this book. You say, why a book on Korean immigrants and Korean Americans? Mm-hmm. So so why? Why is this needed? Well, in the introduction, I, I ca- recall two events that maybe we all share as Korean Americans uh, living in the United States. And, and those happen to, unfortunately, be tragic experiences. So it would be the 1992 LA riots um, over the Rodney King incident that became a um, a Black Korean issue rather than a justice issue about um, police brutality and so forth. And the other one was the uh, 2007 uh, Virginia Tech shooting um, of the Korean student um, killing many of his peers. Those two events came to be remembered, but there were so many other things that we did that were positive, but we failed to remember. Right. And so I felt that part of telling our story was to not only remember those things that were so tragic, but what were the, some of the successes? What were our milestones and markers that we needed to tell? And maybe we can't pinpoint it exactly but maybe getting the conversation started would help others than to say this was an important marker. And, and I think I think we'll talk about it a little later in the show. But, you know, what our project we're working on now is is one of those type of markers that we'll move towards. Right, right. It, it, just as an aside, I, um, I thought it was interesting with the Virginia Tech shooting that the, the 
Korean Council of Catholic Bishops actually issued an apology yes. to the United States, yes. which, I mean, the shooter was not Catholic. <laughs> and it was interesting that, the, right. I don't know if you have, if either of you had a reaction to that, or that was something I, it just occurred to me that I thought was You know, but the other, other thing that was interesting, too, was uh, in, in 92, when the LA riots happened, it's not uncommon for Korea as a country to apologize right. for Koreans of the, the descendants of the country to uh, living elsewhere for their actions. And in 92, that, that sort of, that sympathy went out and in other parts of the world. But in 2007, when the Virginia Tech shooting happened, not only did the Catholic bishops, but as government agencies also made these gestures, the United States also made the gestures to say, this is not, we're not making this strictly a racial issue, and this right. is actually one of our citizens as well. And so we got a stronger distinction between Korean and Korean American, whereas in 92 with the riots, it didn't matter how well you spoke English or right. Korean, everyone was considered Korean at that time. So those were became um, not only significant moments in American history, but I think markers in our Korean American history as well. Right. It, incidentally, just as a curious thing, I, I made, became very good friends with um, a, a a, Cre a Korean friend of, a, of another friend of mine because she was really upset by the Virginia Tech um, uh, incident and she, she wanted to get some kind of like forgiveness from an American. Like it was really bizarre and we became really good friends. Huh. I should say bizarre. I mean, I could understand where she was coming from, but it was, it was curious. I never thought I would be, because of course I had not, I was not, <laughs> did not lose any loved ones or anything in the Virginia Tech incident. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of odd that she wanted to express her sadness to, me, but I, I think that goes to perhaps some of the issues we're talking about, this very deep-seated ethnic identity mm -hmm. um, that she kind of assumed I had, uh, as well, she had it, with, mm -hmm. and, and then she thought I perhaps had as well. Um, Hoon, are you finding any difficulty translating these issues into Korean language? Uh, I am. I didn't know I was that bad with Korean. Um, I, and I found out because while in the process of translating this, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been told by my... Um, uh, New Testament Greek professor, um, uh, translation is an art form, it's not a science, right? right? And so uh, a translating has been challenging, um, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm not just translating, I'm also, <laughs> I have to read this when, when I'm translating, right? So, and I'm actually getting a lot out of this uh, in the process of translating right. um, because I've, uh, my work, my dissertation talks about my Korean experience, but I never thought to equate that or, or talk about Korean American, myself as a Korean American and what that means. I never, that never occurred to me until I started doing work uh, with Father Simon and the translation work. When especially I wonder like an incident like the, um, in, I guess Koreans call the, was it Saigu is the, what Korean, 429, April 29th for the, um, the, the LA riots. Is that something that's difficult to translate? I mean, is that, I'm sure that's something that resonates well with Korean Americans. Does it resonate with Peninsular Koreans? Sure. I mean, if if you refer to Saigu, I would imagine a a good portion of the population understands. They would still know. Okay, so there's still that. Yeah. Much. I would probably explain it though on a footnote or something. Right. Because that's yeah, that, that that may be a little tricky. Yeah, because I, I think those are like one of the uh, memories of why in the '90s. Korean immigration to the U.S. took a dip. Okay. And before in the 2000s, it rose again. I mean, there were other economic issues with the IMF um, 
with uh, with the country in debt and so forth. But one of the stories that I hear was that because of this incident in the United States and how Korean with U.S. citizenship right. were not protected as one of their own, right, was it left a kind of a bad taste in people's mouth of mouths of wanting to come to the United States, right. So you're, you're talking in this chapter then about these these very these experiences that deeply affected Korean Americans. So, and of course that would include the category of Korean American Catholics. What's the connection though between the two? Like in this chapter, you explore this connection between Korean American Catholics and then Peninsular Korean Catholics. Can you tell me what is how what is this kind of connection between the two? There. Are- uh, these events, I think, were markers of how we were seen as one group in 92. Right. And in 2007, we're starting to see uh, not only in the, ourselves within the community distinguishing ourselves. This was a U.S. event or a Korean right. event. These are U.S. citizens, not Korean citizens, so forth. But also government agencies or even church kind of distinguishing these are Korean Americans, not Koreans. Right. And so... You start to see that a little bit, and I think personally myself too. I started witnessing that more in uh, in the in the years two thousand and onward. Uh, that you can start to see a distinguishing of people in the diaspora versus people in the homeland. Right. That you know somehow we are starting to become more and more different. Right. And what, oh, um, I guess my my to put a little personal spin on this is that. Um, during college, I, I, because I'm in this in between, you know, the second generation, the first generation of immigrants that, um, but I, at the time I associated with the first generations more, right. uh, I almost disowned my, my Korean, um, heritage or identity during my college years. And because I thought that was how, how I was going to succeed, <laughs> um, which is embarrassing. Um, but <clears throat> The Korean Student Association at my school um, sort of, um, I don't want to say disowned, um, but um, because I I identify with Koreans more, the Korean American Student Association um, uh, didn't include me in any of their activities. And in fact, there were some rumors about some of them wanting to beat me up. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I, no, Father Simon has already punched him <laughs> during this interview. So. So. Too bad they can't see you. Right? right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that that was reflecting back on that experience is is uh, this kind of um, realization that there is this distinction, right? And people feel it. It's right. A, it's not just like academic. People actually feel this distinction, right? And divide. And and how does this then? deal with the the Catholic with Korean American Catholics like how is it what is the connection between being a between the Catholic Church in Korea and the Catholic Church in and the and Korean Catholics in the American Church I mean there's a lot of similarities you know first of all the obvious is that we look alike and we are the language we pray in are is similar however even though we borrow a lot of things from the homeland and try to adapt it here with the US church uh even the priests coming from Korea to serve in the church for usually four years are saying we are culturally developing as a different people. Right. They say we look alike, but you guys are different. 
Right. Right. And so the distinction that needs to be made is that to not to try to keep separating us, but to say then if we are developing in a different way because of our time here in the United States, how is that enriching both our own community our, and, our, and our faith? So how is it affecting both church and society right. and, and as we grow into this unique people? And I think it's not just a religious event, it's, but it's also a social, political event as well, too, as kind of we started it out as. And so I, the, the, the reason I started out with the two um, moments in Korean-American history, were there, there were strong markers of how we were getting distinguished. Right. Now, within the church, too, we are getting distinguished by saying we're using the same language, the same prayers, but our expressions are starting to look different. Right. And so what, what does that mean for us? And that was kind of part of this journey of this book as well. Excellent. So, um, right. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, especially because, I mean, Catholicism, because it claims to be a universal church, it, it is more of an issue when you have these kind of, or how these connections should work out, mm-hmm. because you can't just form your own institution, because mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be Catholic still. So, um, so that was chapter one. So moving on to chapter two, entitled Remembering the History of Catholicism in Korea. So this is interesting. And it, this is interesting because this, this is a book, in a sense, focusing on Korean-American Catholics. But then chapter two is the history of Catholicism in Korea. So why this chapter? I think you probably could answer this better than I could, <laughs> you being a historian. Uh, but... It's important because, first of all, to know who we are today, we have to know where we've come from, both as a, a, a cultural people, but also a religious people. And because of the unique beginnings of Catholicism on the Korean Peninsula, I think that it should be a sense of pride and motivation for our preservation of the faith here as well, and also to expand, uh, expanding our faith as well. Uh, Part of being Korean Catholic, Korean American Catholic, is to understand the Korean martyrs, right? The seeds of our faith, and because it happened halfway around the world, doesn't mean their lives don't affect us today as well. Um, you probably have a stronger example of that in your own <laughs> life, but in a lot of the reasons why people um, wanted to build these communities, wanted to come together and pray. You know, are attributed to how the martyrs struggled in the early church to build their communities as well. And could you tell us a little bit? Uh, many of our listener the listeners are familiar with with basic kind of Christianity and history like that. But they may not be too familiar with the Korean Catholic martyrs. Can you tell us a a little a little more about them, or what's what's special about them? From my understanding, is that the faith has always spread through evangelization and mission, you know, starting with St. Paul going and even Matthew, uh, the final chapter where Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth. There's always someone who needed to proclaim the gospel, the good news for the people to believe and to allow Christ to be incarnate in their midst. Um, in Korea, the, it's a unique example because the laity themselves, the people that were living there before they be, became Catholics, out of curiosity, whether politically or socially or even spiritually, uh, went over to China 
and encounter this Western learning, Western understanding, and in the process came to encounter the living God. And, and the way they brought the living God, the seeds of the faith, the gospel message back to the Korean Peninsula, and were able to share it amongst themselves even before the clergy arrived or other missionaries arrived, uh, uh, was the unique aspect. So in a way, it was a truly a calling of, of, of a person's self, following their deepest desires, and then encountering truth. Truth not just in, uh, in the mind, but also in the heart. And that really led to the unique uh, beginnings of the Korean faith. Right, yeah, that is one thing I always find fascinating. You know, going out and bringing Christianity to you—that doesn't usually happen. Usually, right? You said it's missionaries coming. Of course, what happens to them once they bring it? Everything's all hunky dory, and they live in—they they live a happy. We would paradise. like to think so, <laughs> uh, but you know, Jesus makes no claims of that. That right. if to follow him would make life rosy and pretty, and that was obviously the case on the Korean Peninsula. That. Um, as they got into some cultural and political differences uh, that people had to decide whether to live as part of the society in the way they were knew how or to truly embrace this new way of living following Christ. And uh, it led to several persecutions, as you know so well. Um, and the way the martyrs offered up their lives, some willingly, some I know, wanting to be martyred because they saw that as a way of not fulfilling only their heavenly duties, but also their earthly duties to their families and, you know, being faithful in so many different ways. Uh, it was really a source of inspiration and it inspired others, so many others to become Catholic at that time as well. And if I'm not mistaken, so... Um, and you can correct, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you have the authority. Um, um, that the, one of the conflicts originally with Catholicism and with the government is that Catholicism seems to talk about this um, uh, human beings being equal um, in the eyes of God. Right, right, and and that's not how Confucian system works. Right, right, right? and and it, that's seen as sort of threatening to the social order uh, of the Confucian neo Confucian society at the time. Would you say that's right. accurate? Uh, yeah, and I mean they definitely saw Catholicism as a danger to order, uh, and it did strike against the. I mean, Chosun Dynasty Korea doesn't get much more hierarchical <laughs> of a society than that, and this was this was a group that was kind of challenging that and questioning that in many ways. So, yeah, uh, are you finding that, cha I mean, as you're translating that or working on translating that, are you, are you, do you find you're learning from that or is this something you're already familiar with? Uh, I, am, um, I am learning and I'm embarrassed in a certain sense because I know so little about it. And actually, translate in the process of translating this, not only am I learning more about my heritage, which is the intention of this book anyway, right. one of the intentions of this book anyway, which means... Father Simon is succeeding somewhat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also that because of this book, I'm, I became more interested and I started doing some of my own readings outside of this text to right. in Korean to find out about more about my, my heritage. Um, um, and so some credit to Father Simon and a lot of credit for me for being interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I would like to uh, interject here is that even though I start out with a history of the Korean 
right. um, uh, Catholicism. It's not a strict history, as you can tell, perhaps not the way a historian like yourself would write it. It really is a theological reflection on the right. history. What, are, what is important to remember and pass on? What, right. is it, what are the aspects that we need to preserve, uh, which might be a little bit different than uh, what a historian in terms of data and facts Right. One. So it's it's it has some interpretations of what I find valuable in my own faith journey as well. Right. And others may find it valuable or others, as Hun said, might want to do further reading to get gather more data and, and information to make it more uh, real to them. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. It's very enjoyable to read. I think that is something people will find valuable because there's just not much in in English. And this is adding you know, helping to deal with that. So it was great. Um, and just for our listeners, this is, uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, my, my specialty is Korean religious history. And I, I look at this area a lot. So that's why I'm in, in particularly enjoyed this chapter. And we learn a lot from you. So moving on then. So in chapter three, you start talking about the, what you call an immigrant narrative. And you, you start off talking about the early history of Korean Americans um, in in well in the United States, and then you bring it up to and then the change that happens in 1965. I wonder if you could recap that a little bit for us. Well, the Korean immigration is usually characterized in three waves to the United States. You have the early um, people who came either as workers or bridesmaids or brides, picture brides, um, or refugees that came early on in the late 1800s or early 1900s. Um, and then you have another wave of people caught in the war right. situation. The Korean War? Yes. Okay. And then uh, the third wave, which this book really focuses on, and w- which we are more familiar with in today's society, right. is in the post-1965, when the Immigration Act in the United States changed to allow not only Asians, but people from all over the world to, right. to be, come into the United States and be accepted as part of uh, the fabric of the landscape. And so um, with the 1965 Immigration Hard Seller Act coming into being, it, it allowed significant numbers of Koreans to come to the United States to form start forming communities where things were getting preserved. So you don't hear a lot of what did the Koreans preserve in their when they first came to the United States right. at the turn of the century, because they weren't, weren't enough numbers to preserve those cultural or political ideals that, and we, we read about it in history books, but right. we don't have a living uh, legacy of that going right. still to get. So a lot of them would have, I think would have mostly been concentrated. Why? Right. Yes. So that's, With the sugarcane workers right. or the picture brides coming there and, and it's, it's closer to Korea. So the political refugees, thought they would eventually go back. So they were right. making the U.S. their permanent home. Whereas in 65, with the poverty and coming out of the aftermath of the Korean War, you still had groups wanting to come to the United States permanently. Right. So like when my parents came, uh, when we came in 1972, there was no intention of going back to Korea. Right. There was, there was no idea of like you would bounce back and forth. Airfare was expensive. Even making a long distance call was expensive. <laughs> and, and no uh, FaceTime. No FaceTime, <laughs> definitely then. Um, and so th- there was this idea of a complete separation. Right. And so that impacted then how I was raised or my generation in the sense that we had to really 
assimilate into society. Right. It wasn't important to retain our Korean culture or language, but it was more important to learn the American way right. to succeed. Today's immigration is much more fluid. Right. And so, you know, it's moving back and forth. It, it, in some ways, it's a blessing because you can uh, balance both worlds, but it's also very difficult in the sense that how where do you make your home permanently? And if right. it's always Korea, then your experience here in the U.S. is always temporary. And what is what are the contributions you're making? Right. Those two waves of immigration in the '65 after 1965. It's kind of the realities I'm trying to address. Right. People who came like myself, people who have more resources and are able to go back and forth. Because immigration is ongoing, but the nature of immigration is very different. And so the immigrants of the past and today have to be almost seen independently. But at the same time, we're all immigrants. Right. And at the same time, it's all the next generation. But there's so many. And so that's why I try to... My title was very broad, but right. that was what I was trying to touch on. It's not just a cultural reality, right. Koreans coming to the United States, but it's also a generational reality because you have generations of immigrants and generations within the, their offsprings. And, and that's what makes it challenging, but also exciting as well. Right, right. Excellent. Who did any of that particularly resonate with you, or you, do you want to add to that? The- um, no, I think I'm good. Are you good? Okay. <laughs> so you, you go on this chapter then to talk about, I, as trying to kind of make sense with this for Korean American Catholics, mm-hmm. especially who are part of this third wave, mm-hmm. the, a, a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. So, so what is your meta narrative that you're trying to describe? And this meta narrative be, between the different waves in the 1965 or the two two types of immigration, those who came early on and made a complete separation of going back to Korea and those who come more recently with the idea and notion that they are able to still go back to Korea. The meta-narratives will differ. But there, when my parents came, uh, there was not the ability to express, express why they were coming to the United States. Right. And part of it is uh, what we what some Koreans call Han. In a, or, oh, that's or, the next chapter. Our, <laughs> our, 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 our Confucian society of and by honoring our family's name by sh- sharing why we came. It was uh, not dishonoring, but it was kind of going into that realm right. because you were leaving Korea of a bad situation, whether poverty or, you know, lack of education or opportunity. It was not a good situation looking for a better situation. So it had that type of connotation. So the marriage narratives, the early uh, immigrants came after 1965 with were either for a better life economically uh, to provide their children with better educational advantages or and you don't hear these a lot nowadays but in the past people used to say because they wanted to live in a bigger country Korea right. was so confining it was so small you know and so that uh, it was was connected with this land of opportunity right. had had broader um, opportunities so um, how do and was, was there anything particularly Catholic about that, or is this just something that was um, generally shared? Or the Catholic narrative was tied to it, but it didn't emerge immediately from there because the reasons why we're not primarily religious 
it was for those educational right. or financial. And so the seeds of their faith came along with the people, but it would take time for that seed to grow and now trying to make a Korean American Catholic narrative, which is which has been kind of our project next to right. do. Uh, but the initial narrative was more of a political, social narrative um, that in one sense touched the surface of our reality, but never got deeper into why a certain person left Korea, right. why a certain person would want to come to the United States. And it, it made these generic um, statements, and which I... Or maybe a lack of a better word, I use the meta narrative, right. and uh, which is different than those who who have resources to go back home, who have different opportunities, and because of the global world we live in, right. those meta narratives might not resonate with them as well. But in my generation, my parents' generation, that's what we always heard. That's what we believe. Uh, and so, one of the projects or purpose of the book was to start to say this is was a real narrative for us. But there was also a deeper narrative. And I think what, as we try to find a deeper narrative of why we are here, then I think that we have to answer the question of what is our religious narrative? What makes us Catholic as well? And, and that, which then I think is why I, I mentioned these social and political realities. Right. Right. Now, and that leads then perfectly into, because you've, you've set up things very nicely where you've you're talking about the being a Korean American, how Korean American or how Koreans got to America and became Korean Americans, and then how there is among some of them this connection to history of Catholicism in Korea, and that brings us to this chapter four where you're kind of pulling it all together, uh, and, and it's entitled Generations of Han. And a lot of our listeners are probably first of all going to be saying, "What is Han?" I would invite someone <laughs> to since we were we just had dinner before this podcast, so. Uh, we and had a was, lively discussion. About and it was good Korean food, by the way. To get <laughs> Very good Korean the, food. And um, uh, Hoon started off us with a conversation of Han at the dinner table, so I, I would invite you. Um, well, Han ultimately, I think, is uh, uh, not a translatable word because the word has uh, history, it has connotations, and it, it has experience that comes along with that word. Um, but... If I had to, because I'm translating, if, <laughs> if I had to use English word to describe that, uh, is uh, a kind of a deep rooted or deep seated um, grudge or resentment or frustration um, uh, that Korean people, uh, because of their experiences, uh, hold. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it does justice to what the, the word uh Means or what that uh, what kind of meaning it has for Korean people? Um, I have other comments about it, but just defining, <laughs> defining that I yeah. think is, is it, it's it's really tied into the historical development of the Korean people on the peninsula, um, and so you can't separate the historical events with the emotional or um, cultural identity identifying aspect of this uh, concept, but. I've also heard it translated, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as sometimes an inferiority complex, mm. um, just because of the occupation of the Korean Peninsula by other countries. But it's we use those terms because of a lack of better term. And so it's right. a much broader uh, 
broader understanding of our lives mm -hmm. as Koreans. Now, Koreans, immigrants, when they came to the United States, if they left Korea for a specific purpose that the merit narrative is trying to address, then there would be some elements of harm. Right. Because you're coming for a better opportunity. And one of those is, is to release this Han, this frustration, or to try to answer something, a question that you might have in your life and by coming to a new land and seeking different opportunities. Now, the immigrants that came over are familiar with this concept. But the next generation who lose a lot of their cultural ties and understanding do not always understand what this reality is. Right. But it, because we pass on our own lives to other people, I, that's why I titled the Generations of Han. It's like even though we don't may not use the word Han anymore, and maybe we don't feel inferior or frustrated in the next generation, right. maybe we are very successful in the United States, there are elements of our family life that passes on knowingly and unknowingly. Right. And so one of the uh, tasks then of our Catholic faith shows us that we always have to be a people of hope, especially in this Easter season that we're in today. Right. Uh, is that, and that the early disciples, the Christians felt hope in whatever situation that we're in. And our Catholic faith calls us to be Korean Americans of hope, whatever situation we are in. So we're, you know, we're not saying Han is this or that, but I think Han directs us to become more Catholic in some ways by becoming saying, we, we are always hopeful in whatever situation we, are, we find ourselves in. Right. And I think, it, I think the word itself helps us to put Korean, where we come from, Korean history in some kind of framework, right? So mm -hmm. we can talk about this experience and we can refer to Han uh, to sort of summarize this kind of experience as, as a group of people uh, uh, had. Uh, and so that may be an important framework for the second generation or next generations of Korean Americans and Korean American Catholics um, because, um, you know, sometimes they don't understand why their parents are a certain way or they don't understand why certain things have to be done a certain way. Uh, and maybe referring to Han may um, help us or help, help the, the next generations understand it a little bit better. Right, right. Yeah, the intergenerational issues are, are tricky and in any case, but especially with, when you have language and there's more language and cultural barriers to understanding them. Um, and in this, this chapter, um, Father Simon, you also connect Han to compassion. Right? How, does that, how does that work? I, I think when we get in touch with who we really are and, and also bring in, this is where the Catholic faith really comes into play, is that we, we don't let that Han or that experience of our history enslave or imprison us. Rather, as Catholics, you know, if we're called to hope, part of that hope is to then take our experiences, whether joy or sadness, and to be able to relay with other people. And so one of the experiences of the immigrant generation, uh, one of the experiences of living, leaving Korea in a certain way or our families in a certain way, and we see this actually throughout Scripture, of people being called from one place to another, um, and that in that movement, 
they encounter God, but they also understand how to live with people of differences around them. And I think that's where the compassion comes out. It comes compassion towards the uh, generationally and compassion with other people who struggle maybe in the similar in similar ways. And is is this compassion the same as like agape or? It could be. Okay. So it could be because it, because it's also a political and social reality, right. it, it can emerge regardless of a Christian context. Okay. Right. Because when the early um, Koreans came to the United States, Koreans were just glad to see other Koreans. Right. <laughs> and so once you met other Koreans, you formed close-knit bonds and right. you... Uh, shared resources, you would help them out. And, you know, Koreans are notoriously known for having this economic system of being able to share uh, okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> to share resources so that they could start small businesses right, and, right. And, and get a leg up when other people would not lend them money. And those were not religiously based necessarily. And right. so this, this compassion aspect can come out like agape or maybe just because of isolation and needing companionship because the the economic connections also were a way to foster social well-being as well okay oh wow just an aside i should know before we move on the, the next chapter han is the the of course the pre korean pronunciation for a chinese character so i would argue it is translatable since it was brought in and translated <laughs> from china but um it's also the the name that's the um if you've ever heard of the movie ju own the grudge our our audience yeah. uh, it's that character from the movie the grudge <laughs> right, it's the right. same character so if you go watch the grudge when the scene opens they have the chinese character that's han that's, yeah. that's han <laughs> so um I think the uh, what was it? The, the Japanese interpretation is is very scary. <laughs> the Korean interpretation is is perhaps more theologically uh, interesting, <laughs> except for the ghosts. <laughs> so, so I, I'm a horror junkie as well. So That's I, I note that. Um, so, uh, having then set up this kind of uh, Father Simon's book has has really done a wonderful job setting up um, or bringing together these various streams of um, of thought about being Korean, being American, being Catholic, and and so forth. And then in chapter 5, Father Simon, you begin to tell us about the Korean immigrant church in the 1970s and 80s. I wonder if you could tell us, um, our audience, a bit about that. The Korean communities have been gathering uh, far longer, whether it's where Korean priests just visiting the United States and people would have a mass in their homes. Right. Uh, like uh, many of the European immigrants did when they first came to the United States or you know, on college campuses or so forth. But uh, the real communities that you see today really had their uh, foothold in the 70s and 80s. And, right. and there were different ways they were started. Very, the people were very creative. Um, when At this time... I mean, today we have so many Korean priests running around there. It seems to be all over the place. Right. <laughs> but back in the 70s and 80s, Korea, too, were also struggling for vocations. Right. They were just starting to, some of them, build their seminaries and really uh, establish uh, what they have today. And so it wasn't abundant of resources to share. And so we had to be creative. So, so when you're in a smaller area where there's less Korean uh, Catholics around, you would uh, have to find a way to come together as a Korean-American Catholic community. Uh, you went to 
uh, English mass. Um, and then you may have shared the word after mass in your own language, or the, the English priest might say the mass for you in English and you respond in Korean. <laughs> oh, and then, uh, in Korea, we had a lot of Merino, Colombian missionaries that were there. And when they came back home, they also set up a lot of the, um, uh, communities as well. So they took their experiences of Korea, their knowledge of the Korean language, and started to plant Korean communities. So you see Colombian um, missionaries at that time. And then uh, priests who were studying in Rome would come to the United States during the summers in some communities, and then they would help uh, with the, the, the masses and so forth during the summers. And then those were all interesting ways that the Korean American communities came together and trying to uh, establish their faith communities. And, and because being a Sacramento people, we needed the sacraments as well. So that was always an interesting way. It reminds me a lot of, for me, the early Christians on the Korean Peninsula, because before the missionaries came, they had to figure out what, how they were going to pray together to keep right. themselves going until priests from China or from France would come over and they could really live out the sacramental life. So what were they going to do? And they had to improvise or they had to rely on each other's leadership and skills. And that's kind of reminds me of what we went through in the seventies and eighties. Oh, excellent. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, um, just an aside, you're talking about that, that issue of how do you respond? What language? I remember when I was once at mass in Korea, uh, you know, they, I was in line for communion and the priest was saying Christo e Mom, Christo e Mom, which for our body of Christ. And uh, it was really funny because the, the priest looked at me and he said, Corpus Christi. What in doubt? Go with the Latin. <laughs> his Latin was better than his English, I suppose. But yeah, exactly. He didn't know I was French or German, so he said Corpus Christi. <laughs> um, and, and then speaking of priests, you talk about this one, one priest who was very important in kind of formation of this. Uh, Chashin Bunim, so, uh, also a.k.a. Father Richard Parle. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about Father Richard Parle? He was a Colombian. He was from the Nebraska uh, area, and he went to Korea very young, and he was near the DMZ, and uh, he worked uh, many years as a missionary there, setting up many of the, uh, not only the sacramental system, but also the ecclesial structures for the church there. Uh, when he came back to the United States, he was in the Archdiocese of Seattle, and I was living in Seattle at that time. That's why I remember it. My childhood grow memory of growing up in the uh, Korean American Church was with him as our founding um, priest. And what was amazing about him was that he was has still that missionary zeal that he must have had in Korea, and so he would go up the I five corridor. Right. And he would drive and have mass in Seattle in the morning, then go to Tacoma a few hours away and have mass in the <laughs> afternoon, and then would drive another three hours to Portland and have mass down there for the Korean community. And he would do this on Sundays so that the communities could be fed right. sacramentally. And I mentioned him in the book because he, he, he was the model that I grew up with, but there were many men like him that, that planted these faith communities wherever they went. Um, 
but so that was just one example of how the uh, community started. So in the Pacific Northwest, basically his labors led to uh, what all the churches there today. And it's just, it, it's, uh, it was really uh, their missionary experience in Korea, and not just in terms of linguistic or cultural knowledge, but that attitude of being missionaries, that when they came back here, when the faith was starting out for Korean Americans, that they continued that missionary right. zeal. Wow. My, one of my hopes is that, um, I, I'm not the author, I don't know why I have hopes, but one of, <laughs> one of my hopes uh, is that by sharing these kinds of stories, um, other Korean communities will share similar kinds of stories. Right. So, um, the, the Korean martyrs in Chicago had uh, priest, Columban priests uh, taking care of that community, um, uh, John Smith, uh, Father Smith is uh, one of Chun Shinbunin is one of right. these characters. Uh, Jung Jung, uh, Father Jung uh, from Queens right. uh, was another example of someone who ministered in Korea and and here and and ministered in the United States, well, ministered the Korean community in the United States for a very long time. Uh, and uh, um, these kind of stories within their communities can be shared and talked about and talk about where they come from too as a result of sharing these specific stories uh, in this book uh, as part of well, my hope. Well, and that was basically my hope too in writing it. It was not just to get my memoirs or my reflection, right. theological reflections out there, but it was. I was hoping that by starting the conversation, it would spark others to uh, reflect back on, on their own faith journeys and to write about their faith journeys so that we, we, we would remember these moments and as we remember the martyrs, as we remember the, any Christians throughout the centuries, that they give us hope to carry on and to continue to persevere in our faith. When you, you point at, in your next chapter, you talk about the need to, to persevere because there are challenges, there are pastoral challenges that face the Korean American Catholic community. So I wonder if you could, uh, you know, building on these examples you've given of how to overcome challenges, I wonder if you could elucidate the challenges themselves a little bit for us. Well, the early in the seventies and eighties, when these faith communities were first forming, challenges were uh, pretty central, and we need to get a priest here. Um, now, with the abundance of priests from Korea and coming over, and now we have um, something like ninety-two Korean American ordained priests, wow. and so now we those sacramental needs are slowly being filled. And, but there are still other challenges generationally. If uh, most of the priests are coming from Korea to minister to here, they're obviously going to be more comfortable in the Korean language, while the next generation may not always be comfortable in the Korean language. Right. right. And so the heart of these missionary Korean priests are always there to reach out to the next generation, but they're not always able to. Right. And so there's sometimes a disconnect between that. Another challenge, maybe whom you want to might talk about, if you live in a large populated area of Korean Americans, it's easy to do programming, ministries, uh, functions like L.A. or New York. Or, but right. when you're from the Kentucky, Louisville area, <laughs> it may not be. Maybe you can talk about some of the challenges there. Sure. Uh, you know, I've lived in the States uh, long enough, and I've lived in various different kinds of states, uh, metropolitan uh, cities and smaller communities. Um, and now I live in Louisville 
Um, and Louisville. Our, uh, Louisville. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. So it's Louisville. <laughs> um, uh, Koreans call it Louisville. <laughs> um, uh, our community, um, our Sunday Mass, Korean American Catholic community at Louisville, um, our Sunday Mass uh, will fluctuate a little bit, but between 30 and 50 people coming to our Mass. Um, and that's including everybody, little kids, babies, everybody. And um, because it's a very small community that's trying to survive, uh, we we are struggling to we are struggling by having one person do five people's job. Right. <laughs> um, but, Tell what your wife does. She's the organist. Uh, she's she's the organist. She's the leader for the uh, Marian devotional group called uh, Legion of Mary. Um, she's also. Um, um, leading a uh, uh, music ministry. And, and so one person has to do many different things uh, at once in, in order to survive. But, you know, these kind of inspirational stories help, you know, help right. us, help us to do, you know, they've done it and we can do it. Kind of right. mentality. And if you look at any immigrant group and, and part of uh, highlighting Korean American Catholic experience is that saying we're not any different than any other immigrant group in our terms of our needs when we first come to the United States or generationally. So that as we move on, is the questions of how do we become a contribution to the wider church? How do we become part more of mainstay of the wider church? And uh, one thing I always tell people is that just because we're not as big or we don't have as many programming does not make us any less authentic as church. Mm -hmm. The early Christian communities were always church because of their sacramental nature. These community faith communities are sacramental in, in their in their worship in their prayer, and so they're always the authentic expressions of church. And so, how do we bridge these uh, notions of what an ecclesia community are supposed to be? And so, it's this dialogue is this always challenging. I bring this up because I wanted to bring up um, something else. If I can change the subject of just course. a little bit, no, feel free. Um, you know, part of being able to do this book has led to other projects. And one of my other projects in uh, in May, the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops will be coming out with a shorter version of our Korean American Catholic uh, understanding. Um, it's more like a booklet. Okay. And in it, it, it goes through some of the themes, not in, in much detail, but just to give you a brief background of you know, what does Korean Catholicism look like in Korea? What does it look like here as immigrants? But the main reason I wanted to put that out is there a couple of things that happened. One, the Korean American Priest Association in 2013, um, in preparation for the 50th anniversary, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, decided that we need to call ourselves Korean American Catholic. And one way is not to just make distinctions that were different than the Korean Catholics halfway around the world, but to say, now, how can we become a contribution? Because if we're always associated with the church in Korea, we always expect in the Korean church over there to make some kind of contribution. But if we make, take, it's a way of taking ownership, when we're identifying ourselves of the richness of coming from both heritage, that we're taking the best of the Korean culture and the U.S. culture, the Korean church legacy and the U.S church legacy, and coming together in our own way of expression. And so this, rather than just calling ourselves Korean Catholics, um, the Presbyterate made a conscious effort, the priests in the 
uh, working in the United States made a conscious effort to say, even though it may be difficult for the initial generation to say Korean American Catholic, and by the way, there's no word for Korean American in Korean language, right. so it's almost we just transliterated Korean American <laughs> yeah. Catholic, and uh, but it was an important marker to say this is starting to recognize ourselves as a unique people of God. The unique church. And so that was done in preparation. 2016 will be our 50th anniversary uh, of being officially recognized in the United States. So in 1966, the Archdiocese of San Francisco, the bishop there recognized that we are part of the ecclesial landscape. Right. So uh, that became a, one of our markers as well. 1966, sure, there were Korean American Catholics before then. Right. There were people celebrating Mass in Korean before that. But 1966 becomes a clear marker of something we can say, we've come this far, we've developed into this people, and now right. we have something to say and contribute back to not only church, but society as well. So in 2016, we're um, preparing that celebration. And uh, in preparation for that celebration, it's it's taking on the tone of deepening what does it mean to be Korean American Catholic. And I, this is how I met your host, uh, Frank, <laughs> Dr. Franklin Rausch, is uh, I, I encountered his works, too. And if you haven't read his works, uh, it's, re- it's very inspiring, even though it's, uh, as a historian, you write as a historian, but I, I think you yeah, have a lot to do with our faith life as well. And we came together on, on, on this project we're still working on, and it's, it's to begin the conversation like this book that we're talking about today is to begin the conversation of what does it mean to be Korean American Catholic? You know, and maybe you want to, you both of you would like to say a little more about being part of this project. Um, well, I, I, I'm grateful. First of all, that I, I was able to, because of this project, I, uh, was able to think about, um, my own identity uh, and uh, in that process, I become an instrument for others to, to you know, discover their identities too. Um, so the first thing that pops into my head is that I'm, I'm grateful and I'm, I hope this uh, will affect a lot of, uh, not just, just our group, but a lot of uh, Korean American Catholics to deepen their understanding about who they are. And it, it's for me. It's really interesting to be part of the project because I'm not Korean American. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, but it's it's a lot of You're fun. You're half of it, <laughs> <laughs> at least. <laughs> but you know, being, being a, a Koreanist, it is. It's always you know. It's um, I can tell you know there is a lot of Korean in the in the Korean American. You know, it's not. Um, it's not something that just goes away. And also, like I said, I'm just thankful to be relevant. It's not <laughs> often the historian's going to be relevant. And it's it's neat to actually have people uh, want to hear what I have to say, which doesn't <laughs> often happen, or especially to have a wider audience. Because I'm usually, usually people that I'm talking to are other historians, yeah. but it's neat to talk to Korean Americans, Catholics, or, or they're just saying, well, I want to know more about this. Like, okay. I'll tell you what I can. So it's really an honor to be to, to be entrusted with the, being a part of this. Um, well, is there? Uh, we have always our traditional new books question, but before I bring that, I just want to ask: Do you have anything else you'd like to add, or things anything else you'd like to mention about your book that we haven't talked about? I, I would just encourage 
people have similar faith journeys to start reflecting on it in the way um, we have been doing, especially in this project, because um, we we often think it's just my story, but it becomes a story of our salvation history. That's how salvation history comes together is because of our stories of encounter with God and one another. And I think you mentioned earlier at dinner uh, about, or earlier today when we were talking about you know, everyone has something to say. Right. Yeah. All the, I think we all have a, everyone has a story. Everyone's important. And uh, I think we all have something worth saying. It's getting people to understand that. Right. That they do have something to share. Yeah. It's good to get their voice out there. And I think that's what this book has done for me personally too, is, uh, is for others to hear my story, but also to encourage them to then say, I have a story to tell too, and have them start to think in these type of categories as well. Um, um, because I'm, I'm uh, translating this book, um, I hope I, I, there is a need. Um, you know, Father Simon talked about a kind of a disconnect between the Korean American communities here and the Korean priests who are coming into this community to serve these communities. Um, that um, I think it will help them to read about um, not only their own history, but the history of Korean American Catholics in the United States, uh, so that before they come, they have some kind of understanding and framework right. uh, that will help their ministry, which means when I'm done translating and if, if this is published, then uh, any priest who's coming to the United States should buy and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. and read and learn from, from these stories. Right, right. <laughs> 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 so, um, well, then I would like to, to end by asking our traditional New Books Network question. Uh, first of all, to Father Simon, what are you working on now? Wow. Um, <laughs> actually, there's a couple of things I'm working on, I think. Thank you. Um, you. You know, one of my uh, specialty is uh, to do theology within a cultural context, theology and culture. And uh, I, I, like I said in the beginning, I'm t- I teach in New Orleans, and I actually live in an African-American community. And, uh, and my background is that I also did Hispanic Latino theology. <laughs> so here's a Korean American priest doing Hispanic Latino theology, living in an African American community. So only in the United States will you find something <laughs> like that. But so, um, I'm trying to do some reflections with my pastor there on, uh, the spirituality of the civil rights movement. Right. We had the, just the 50th anniversary of Selma right. and, you know, Immigrants do not give the civil rights movement as much notice as we should because we really needed the civil rights movement to find right. equality between different races right. for the United States to be able to open her doors to other immigrants of, around the world. Right. So within herself, she was able to do it in the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and outside. So trying to tie in this, this, this also political and, and social movement which was also a religious movement because it was oh, led yes. by black preachers and with marching and singing of right. spirituals, um, but also within the uh, context of how it ties in with uh, the Holy Spirit mer- moving with the United States opening her doors to the world, right. the Mauritian Act. So that's one project. Uh, uh, 
another project that uh, I've been working on as well as just with Vatican II, you know, it's the 50th anniversary, and the United States is opening her doors to the um, to the world. The church has to open her doors too. Right. And now you can see the spirit working through the Second Vatican Council as well. And so I've been um, writing uh, and doing some conferences on Vatican II. So I'm trying to bring <laughs> those different projects either separately or together as right. a, as a as a kind of seeing the movement as that the church. The Holy Spirit works through the church, but obviously the Holy Spirit works through society as well. Right. And so it's to see that working together, especially in the emergence of the local church in the United States. Further proof that priests don't sleep. (laughs) 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 And, well, we know one thing you're working on, Hoon, of course, Uh, is the Korean translation. (laughs) But is there anything else you're working on you'd like to share with us? Um, Well, I have a chapter coming out in a book um, called Asian American Christian Ethics. Um, And I uh, have a chapter on gender and sexuality. It's going to be out in September through Baylor University. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's going to be coming out, um, um, which is uh, a gathering of Asian American Christian ethicists um, taking up topics of their expertise and and combining them to a sort of a textbook form. Uh, we're hoping this is one of a kind. This is there's right. This it's never been done before, so we're quite excited about that. Um, I'm also working on a paper for uh, CTSA, Catholic Theological Society of America. Um, and in it, I'm trying to bring up, uh, I'm trying to tell my story in Kentucky. I'm trying to talk about the origins of the Korean American Catholic community um, in Louisville, which has a lot of, of similarities with the early church, early Korean Catholics, and the early struggles in the United States. So I'm going to try to write something about that. Um, and do you want to talk about the, our art book project? Um, and in preparation for the 50th anniversary, uh, we've been, we just had a conference in March, uh, a forum where we've been presenting ideas from our different specialties, academic specialties, about how to reflect on the Korean Catholic, Korean American Catholic experience. And uh, it was very well received. Uh, it was the first of its kind for scholars within the Korean American Catholic community to come in together and to um, have an event like this. And my hope is that we can continue the work in developing these papers um, and coming together and putting some kind of legacy or kind of recapturing some of our experiences for future generations as well. Um, the work I think we're doing right now is not just for ourselves, but really for the future when people are will ask or to seek where was the church, where were the Korean American Catholics, we can sh- uh, have some types of markers saying, you know, these things happened, these things were important um, points in our lives. And so uh, we, we will work on putting together the uh, Jubilee Reflections of Korean American Catholics and hopefully will be out next year in 2016 when we celebrate our 50th anniversary. Excellent. Well, thank you, Father Simon Hoon, for your time. Uh, And thank you, listeners, also for your time. This has been New Books in Christian Studies. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll come back and listen again soon.